So the scene starts on a dusty road in a small village in the ancient Near East. There's a lot of talking and shouting going on in this little town, and there's this one hut, this home in particular, where people are just packed in, like at a fraternity party, only there's no music bump in the room. Word begins to spread, he's here, he's here. And we get this scene of people trying to crowd into this home where this man has come to town who people have heard about his miraculous things that he's doing. In fact, it was so packed that day that there was a group of men that they wanted to get their buddy in to see Jesus. They tried to push their way to the front of the crowd and get into the home and they just couldn't do it. They were barred from entry. And so these men, they said, hey, we're not going to stand for that. Can you picture this? There with the smells and the dust on the road and this thatched roof home and people crowding in, these four guys in particular, according to Mark chapter 2, try to find another way to bring their crippled friend who's been paralyzed to Jesus. You see him carrying him there, I picture it like on a cot. He, his legs are very emaciated because he hasn't been using them and they, they carry him and they notice just off to the side this rickety old ladder. There was no Lowe's or Home Depot. They just found this ladder that's leaned up against the side of the home and they place it there. And I don't know whose big idea it was to be the one to, to travel up backwards up the ladder to hold a man on a cot that they obviously had to wrap around so that he didn't fall off as they did it. Can you picture it? And as they get him up this rickety ladder and they, they press him up, they eventually get the entire cot and the four men carry him to the top of this home. And you got to wonder what they're about to do. Now, I don't know who did it first or what they used. I don't know if they had some ancient hammer or if the guy just used some elbow grease, but they open up a hole in that home. Shrieks come from down below as the clay drops from the thatched roof onto the floor People looking up, they're destroying somebody's home. Better call the insurance company. And suddenly this hole comes up. I love picturing one of the guys just sticking in his head down and looking down below. But we don't know what happens next other than somehow they lower his body into the home. One guy jumps down, he takes the cot, they place him in there, and they work together, bonded to bring their friend to the feet of Jesus. It's an incredible picture, really. When Jesus sees him, though, he doesn't just say, hey, I'm sorry that you're paralyzed. Let me do something about it. He actually says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the religious leaders that heard this, they shouted blasphemy. They didn't care for Jesus' words. And he says, what is it easier to do, to say your sins are forgiven or to pick up your mat and walk? And this man who had been paralyzed all of a sudden stands up walks. Can you picture it? I got to imagine the screams, the shouts of joy, the crying. See, Jesus said, I, I, I say this today, this is, you may know the Son of Man doesn't just have the power to heal, but to forgive sins as well. I imagine there are many of us in the room that are thankful that he's that kind of Savior. Amen? And in that moment, as we see the authority of the Son of God that we studied the first week of this teaching series, we also witness something else. See, it wasn't just that Jesus brought healing and forgave sins in that moment. I picture those four guys and their buddy that they saw something that bothered him and they saw a way to fix it. They saw the injustice and they didn't just stand there and do nothing about it. They brought him 
They got him up onto the roof and they lowered him in. And I picture the emotion of that moment as these guys see their buddy standing for the first time, the amazement on their faces, the hugs, the tears, the high fives, maybe some chest bumps. I don't know, but it had to have been incredible. It's a picture of community on mission. And I believe it's one of the first passages where we see what the church should and could look like. This morning, friends, as we talk about the underground church of Jesus Christ, and we share the vision for our missional communities we call outposts, we believe that that is the type of community that we should witness and can witness and do witness today. Will you pray with me? God, right now, uh, we pause for a moment. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here in this room right now. We pray, Lord Jesus, wherever we're at spiritually, that right now you would speak to some of us came into this room for the very first time. We didn't know anybody. God, I pray that they would be connected with your community immediately. God, as we talk about what doing church should look like, We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak directly to our hearts how to make an impact, that if this church no longer existed, those who aren't Christian in our communities would miss it because we could not deny the good works that you were doing. Thank you this morning, Lord Jesus. We surrender everything to you. We pray you'd speak to us through scripture, and we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. I love, I love Mark chapter 2. The story of these four guys changing one man's life by getting them to Jesus. I believe that's what Christian community should and can look like. Even today, we have witnessed it in the four and a half plus years we've existed as a church. I also know something else very important. College football kicked off this weekend. Amen? Amen, yes. And next weekend, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish begin their quest for their uh, umpteenth national championship on Sunday night in Austin, Texas. Anybody, amen, a few of you? Okay, like five again. I don't know what the problem is with these Christians around here. I've been taking a poll. How How many Michigan fans do we have in the room? Two, that's great. Oh, three, four, a couple of you. Hey, I'm not gonna rip on them. How many Ohio State fans do we... You guys, I don't know what it is, but we have way too many Ohio State fans in this church. It's been going on for too long. We need to do something about it. I don't know, Purdue fans, we got Purdue fans out there. There's a lot of those. Man, pray for us. IU fans out there. We, yeah, okay. We got a few of you, and I know I didn't mention a whole bunch of, if there are any USC fans, the door is right over there. We'd love for you to try another church. I'm just kidding. Uh, Glad that that each of you are here. Here's the thing. I grew up playing sports, and maybe some of you did as well. I I loved tennis and basketball. I played those all growing up. And the one thing I'll say that is different about football is it takes 11 guys on each side or 11 people to participate. It is truly a team sport. In tennis, you can be an excellent, amazing tennis player and be a horrible teammate. You ever thought about that? Like you could be really, really good in an individual sport. You could be a great, fantastic golfer and just be a horrible person in every way. Basketball, even, it is still a player-driven league, right? Like, it still takes a team, and the team tends to win, but in the NBA, at least, like, your star athletes can really make a huge impact. Football, 
Our MVPs certainly make a difference. Peyton Manning, thank the Lord. Andrew Luck, thank the Lord. But it is truly a team sport that takes everybody working together to accomplish a task. This morning, as we look through different parts of the Gospel of Mark, I want to ask the question, who is your team? In a spiritual sense, when it comes to you growing in your faith, living on mission for Jesus, making an impact in your community, who's your team? See, I believe that God didn't just create every single person in this room. He actually created you with a purpose and a plan, and it's the best plan for our lives. But it's so easy to become distracted and not see God show up in the ways that we hope and dream. And that many of us in our culture, we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We have salvation. We're going to spend eternity in heaven one day. But we got no team to live out our mission in this lifetime. And what I hope to show you very simply this morning is that Jesus was all about the team. In fact, at moments where he should have taken on a lot of the credit and build up his ministry, instead, he empowers his team to make the lasting impact. It's that empowerment that we have seen throughout Christian history where Christianity has expanded the most rapidly when it's not about a few individuals, but it's actually many people within the body of Christ empowered to make an impact with their lives. We do that here at Mercy Road through our outposts, our communities on mission, that we actually empower leaders to live out and make an impact in their communities. And I hope to share that vision with you this morning. Here's the thing. Glad to stay up with me. I'm going through Mark pretty quickly. Here's what happens. In Mark chapter two, amazing, miraculous healing of the paralyzed man. Word begins to spread about Jesus. In fact, he starts doing crazy things. He eats with sinners in Mark chapter two. He gets known for that. In Mark chapter 3, he heals a person on the Sabbath to show that he was Lord of the Sabbath as well. In Mark 4, he calms the storm. In Mark chapter 5, one of my favorite stories, he sends these evil spirits out of this man that's been demon-possessed, and he sends them in the pigs, and they go flying off a cliff. Like by Mark chapter 5, things get pretty crazy. I know some of you went to a concert this last weekend. The real Yeezy in Mark 5, things be going nuts by the time Jesus is in sending pigs flying off of a cliff. Word is going to spread rapidly. In fact, what Jesus tells the man who had the evil spirits, he says, hey, go back into town and tell everybody what happened. He didn't just like tell people in town, like word begins to spread in Mark 5 all over the Decapolis. Like, what's that? The Decapolis was like the 10 cities in that area. It spreads all over the region in the ancient Near East. Words flying. See, today we post something on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. I mean, one Snapchat of the pigs flying off the cliff and people are going to be talking about Jesus all day long. In that moment, though, when Jesus was like the pinnacle of his success, where the PR campaign for the Jesus train is moving quickly, he does something that seems wrong to us. Like, he's bringing this message, as Darren talked about last week, he's drawing huge crowds, and it's in this moment that he actually begins to pull back and not draw attention to himself, and instead push his team out to make a lasting impact. He was never interested in simply drawing a crowd. He was interested in long-term, sustainable impact. You see, what happens at the, Mark, at the end of Mark chapter 5, you can turn there in your Bible if you have one, power it on, 
And at the end of Mark chapter 5, there is this 12-year-old child, a girl, who has died. And he goes into the home, and he says, hey, guys, don't worry about this. She's just sleeping. And they literally laugh in his face. And he kicks everybody out. He takes the parents in. He lays hands on her, and he heals her, and she raises from the dead. Raises from the dead. You resurrect a 12-year-old child, everybody is going to know who you are and what you do. And in that moment, if he was like most of us as human beings, he would have thought, man, now's my chance to capitalize on my PR. Maybe I get a little bigger paycheck. I've been homeless for far too long. Maybe I can finally get my own house. I've been walking on these sandals. Maybe I can get an actual, like, I picture like a luxury donkey, kind of the Bentley of Burroughs I'll be riding around on from now on. And he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do any of that. In fact, most of our churches today, and this isn't a critique of any church in particular, but in American culture, we would look at that as like, hey, we got favor in the community now. Now time to grow our worship services bigger, right? And when we would start thinking about how can we, you know, get like that $100 million building someday where we got donuts in the urinals. I mean, what's that going to look like someday for us, right? I don't know why the donuts would be there, but just in my mind, that's how it works. And, and yet, that's, that's not what Jesus does here at all. No private jet, no like incredible change to his ministry. In fact, he kind of steps back. And in Mark chapter 5, verse 43, at the end of this chapter, he says, he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And oh yeah, get her something to eat. He raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead. Word is spread all over the Decapolis. And in that moment, he says, hey, but don't tell anybody about this. I got too much attention already. Why does he do that? This happens repeatedly. In fact, in Mark chapter 9, in the transfiguration, I'll read these verses in Mark 9, verses 9 to 10. There's the, you remember the story of the transfiguration? He goes up onto the mountaintop, and he brings Peter, James, and John with him. And in that moment, they're praying. All of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up, and they're hanging out with the two greatest prophets in the Old Testament. And they're coming back down the mountain. And here's what Jesus says to the disciples in Mark 9, 9 to 10. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Rising from the dead meant. See, you can look at that on your own in Mark 9, verses 9 to 10. What, what that passage talks about, multiple times here, Jesus does some incredible things, and then he turns around and tells people, don't tell anybody about it. Why does he do that? See, I believe that Jesus is much more concerned about the long-term sustainable impact in our communities. He's much more concerned about each individual person growing in their faith, being discipled, as we talked about last week, and then going out in community on mission and making an impact. He is less concerned just about what happens in our public spaces and more concerned about what ha is happening in our private spaces. See, right after he raises a 12-year-old girl from the dead, he makes it clear he's always all about the team. All about the team. In Mark 6, uh, verses 7 to 13, if you want to turn there with me in your Bibles, I'm going to read these verses. Mark 6, verse 7 to 13, it says, 
Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not extra, an extra shirt. That sounds smelly. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So in that moment, rather than the word spreading and Jesus going out and preaching to thousands and thousands and thousands of people and doing more, he takes the 12 that he's been pouring his life to and he sends them out. The 12 apostles, the original disciples, and then you know, Judas has his thing happen and then Paul becomes uh, an apostle as well. The word apostle means sent ones. It means sent ones. They were sent out into the community to make a lasting impact. What does it look like in your life to be one of the sent ones? You may not have the apostolic calling that some uh, individuals have, but you have the calling to make an impact in our community for Christ. I believe that you weren't placed here on this earth by mistake. I believe you offer some unique things that when working with other people in community, you can actually make an impact that lasts eternally and makes an impact here and now. Jesus will perform these miracles. Eventually, he's going to feed the 5,000 you remember that story? And he's going to feed the 4,000 in the middle there. He's going to walk on some water. It's going to be, uh, the word is going to spread about him. And all of the time, he's like, hey, quiet down just for a second. I want this team to make an impact in our communities that doesn't just last for a generation, but lasts for generations upon generations so that today over 2 billion people claim faith in Jesus. And isn't it interesting that they didn't have to make a program to make that happen they didn't even have to hire a staff to make it occur. They just empowered believers to be sent out and make a lasting impact. Here's what I want to do. I want to answer uh, this question. Do you get the sense that Jesus, his version of community on mission looks different than most American churches? Do you? See, I, I want to demonstrate this to you. I'm going to ask some questions here. I'm the pastor of a church and I, I, I love our worship services together. I love them. They're amazing. We've seen God reach people for Christ. We teach scripture. I believe we do it in a relevant way. We, we worship God through music. We pray with people. We've seen people called into new ministries. We've seen people find salvation. We, every week we have over 200 kids in seven different environments, plus our Mercy students, junior high and high school ministries, making an impact, growing like crazy, seeing new people surrender their lives to Jesus. It's, it's awesome. It's a great time to be alive in the life of a, a local church, isn't it? You, always, you don't always get to witness and experience that. But here's the thing. Church is not just a worship service and a program that happens on Sundays. It, it's not. It is the thing that helps us propel the mission that's happening throughout the week. Let me ask you this question. When did Jesus and the disciples attend worship services weekly? Oh man, you're a pastor. You can't say stuff like that. They went to Jewish synagogues. They certainly participated, but they were also always out traveling. 
And the primary reason for their existence wasn't just to gather, but it was also to scatter. To be empowered, to be sent ones that reached their community. They weren't, didn't just exist for our worship services together or a midweek Bible study or kids programming. And those things are fantastic. In fact, statistics demonstrate that if you participate in the life of a local church on a weekly basis, not only do you see God show more up in your life and you practice spiritual disciplines more and so you grow closer to him, but actually the divorce rate is lower for families that are actually weekly and not just like every couple of months participating in the life of a local church. I'm a big fan of our worship service. I love them, but that is not the end all and be all for church. When we started Mercy Road Church, we actually started our outposts, our missional communities, before we started our worship service. Because we wanted people to see those are every bit as much church as our times of gathering together. And if all we do is gather, we have missed out on the primary reason for the church existing in the first place. Think about that. If Jesus just wanted to gather everybody, we would have had the Sermon on the Mount every single week. But that's not what he did. He empowered these 12, and right when he could have drawn more attention, it's like, not about me, it's about the Spirit of God using everybody. I'm going to send them out, and we're going to make a bigger difference than just drawing people to me. See, I believe that is seen throughout the New Testament. In the book of Acts, as the early church rapidly grows, they are going from community to community. The apostle Paul will go into one town, will go to the Jewish synagogue, will tell people about Jesus. One person will come to faith, like Lydia in the church in Philippi. She's going to invite everybody over to her house and begin to share her faith with people. And the church expands. It didn't need a program. It didn't need a staff to hire, to oversee it. We just empowered believers. What does that look like in your life right now? And I find that super interesting because when all of that occurs, if most of us saw that today, we wouldn't consider it church until it looked like what we're doing this morning. See, it's kind of radical stuff, isn't it? And yet it's historical Christianity. And I want to show you why it's so important that we do gather, but we also scatter. How the community looks different than most American churches. Number one, the first Christians were so serious about the mission of Jesus, they didn't always have time for what we think are the most important parts of doing church. Like, coming coming together is fantastic. And I believe if you do it, it's really going to propel you to make an impact in your community. But that is the secondary thing that helps propel it. The primary thing is that you actually go out and make an impact in your community, that you don't do it alone. And it's when they finally were recognized within the Decapolis that Jesus begins to pull back a bit and empower the team to make a lasting impact. He wasn't just interested in becoming the coolest brand of church locally. Our job at Mercy Road Church, as we have seen favor in the community and we have grown rapidly over the last four and a half years, is not just to become the next cool hip church around here but to actually empower believers to make a lasting impact with their lives. Number two, living in community on mission is actually the primary, not secondary goal of any local church. We get that backwards sometimes, don't we? Living in community on mission is the primary, not secondary goal of a local church. And if you look at Jesus, it's in the very moment where everything is expanding, growing rapidly, that he kind of steps back and empowers the team to make an impact. One of our vision and goals over the next five years is that the church would be known less and less for the people on the stage or on the staff and more and more for the empowered believers serving Jesus out in their community. 
we'd be more and more for our outposts and the impact that they're having. Because that's what the early church looked like. That's what the time of Jesus looked like. The third one, as we respond to the differences of what we've read here in the American church, is the community should so recognize the work of Christians that we actually have to get them to stop talking about it. Right? Like multiple times, Jesus tells, hey, stop talking about that. Stop talking about it. You're going to draw too much attention to me. He was more concerned about making a lasting impact. How, how many times have you seen churches that are like, you know, the, the TV stations, the radio stations won't stop bugging us. They can't stop talking about all the cool things we're doing. Never. And yet here, that's, that's pretty much what Jesus does. He squelches the PR a little bit because he can't believe what God is actually, or for us today, we couldn't believe what God is actually doing. When you look at the early church in the book of Acts, it looks more like the underground church in China than it does the American church today. Are you familiar with the underground church in China? Over the last 50 years or more, the church there has grown rapidly, and it was illegal for a good portion of that time to live your faith out. And now today, it's still that you have to participate in a state-run church and yet the church has expanded rapidly, even though it was not always easy to practice their faith. Do you realize that's not an anomaly? That actually occurs over and over again. This is why this is so important. I love our public times together, but the most important aspect of what we do is the underground church, the underground aspect of us living on community and mission. Because no matter what happens to the church, no matter what happens in our culture, that can never, ever be taken away. And it's the thing that makes the greatest long-term impact. Jesus seemed to know it. It's why he stopped just only trying to draw crowds, but empowered his team to make an impact. It's incredible. In fact, in, in, throughout the Gospel of Mark, we get more pictures of that, and you learn even more in the, the book of Acts. And by the time you get to Ephesians chapter 4, it actually says there in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, that you actually don't attain the full measure of Jesus Christ as the body of Christ, the Christians today, we are meant to fulfill as the body of Christ, his mission in the world. You don't get the full measure of Jesus until we work together. So why in our culture today, with those of us who have personal relationships with Jesus, do we have such an individualistic vision for our faith? The isolated Christianity that many of us practice, not only is it unbiblical, you'll never see God show up in the way that you hope and desire. Where is your team? And that doesn't just include attending a worship service. That's fantastic. But where is your real team that you're doing life with? That's the type of culture that we have always desired to create. And as we have seen it, we have seen the lasting impact that it does make. This isn't new. The underground church in China is not an anomaly. If you look at the first couple hundred years of the early church, it wasn't until 313 AD when the emperor Constantine made the Edict of Milan and made it the official religion of, Christ, of Christianity, the official religion of the Roman Empire. Up until that point, it had been very difficult to practice your faith and even illegal at times. In fact, in the second century AD, in certain parts of the Roman Empire, if you practice your faith out, they would actually burn you at the stake. And then here's what they would do. Just to taunt you, they would take your ashes left over and they would throw it into the local river so that it would dissipate there and they'd go, hey, resurrect that body now. Wow. And yet, during those first 300 years, the church exploded rapidly because the underground aspect, as we talked about throughout the series, cannot be 
stopped because it wasn't about their public gatherings. It was about the impact they were making in the communities. You see this in history with the Moravians in the 1400s and on. They, they empower believers to actually live on mission. And even though it was difficult for them, they expanded rapidly during that time. Some of you are familiar with the Methodists here in American culture in the 1700s. Rather than requiring people to get a seminary education, as many denominations did, they actually empowered their circuit riders that were just empowered by the Spirit of God to go out and start churches and spread the Word of God in different parts. And they would literally ride around on horses in different towns and they'd preach and they'd move on to the next town and preach again. And it wasn't about like some distinct person of authority. It was about empowering people to go out to set ones to impact their community. It's actually how Methodism expanded rapidly here in the United States. I gave you the, the understanding of the underground church in China. Like this has happened historically, guys. We have really diminished the authority and the power of the Son of God who doesn't just heal people but says your sins are forgiven when we say that only can occur from a few people on a stage or that have their picture on the back of a program. Like you were created to make an impact and you need a team to help you and so many of us, we try and do it all alone. As we wrap this up, I want to share a couple of stories with you. I want to invite you to begin to pray about whether or not you could find an outpost to participate in this fall. If you're new to the church, I really encourage you to check out Rooted. And I encourage everybody to check out Rooted, a 10-week series that starts September 7th. You'll get to know a lot of people, and we'll start a lot of outposts out of that. But we do have about 15 different outposts that are meeting different parts of the city and the county. And if you uh, have the Mercy Road app on your phone, I encourage you to get that out for just a moment. If this is your church home and you've never downloaded the Mercy Road app, delete something on your phone. It'll be fun for you. It'll be freeing. And add the Mercy Road app to your phone because on there you can actually click the Outposts link and you can see all the different Outposts leaders and their missions and what they're participating in. And they're all going to be out in the lobby right after the service so you can get to know them. So you can look at the app, figure out, oh, I don't like them. They look like somebody I don't want to hang out with. I want to hang out with that person. That'd be shady. Don't do that. But like, you can look at like, is this, you know, in my area, can I identify with this mission? Go out in the lobby, find them, get to know them, and go check out their outposts this fall. And here's why that's so important. Uh, there's a, I asked these two women if I could talk about them this morning, and they said yes, but I didn't tell them what I was going to say. So we'll see if they are happy they did that. But the first one is Christina Huffines. Some of you know Christina a few years ago, we moved from the school to the little community called Home Place, which is on the south side of Carmel, and where we met in a 5,000-square-foot building for two years. It was fun. And in that place, we, one of our outposts said, hey, we want to make an impact. And so they, they talked to the local elementary school, Orchard Park Elementary, which at that time had about a 40% free and reduced lunch rate. Most of Carmel at that time had about 1% to 2% free and reduced lunch rate. So there were a number of families that uh, needed help financially. And so they put together, they raised funds, and they provided meals for an entire week for 55 families in need in that community. And what happened next was incredible. See, because of that, then the, we said, hey, could we provide toys at Christmas time? And through Ben Glenn's Lego toy drive, we gave gifts to those same 55 families in need and just put a little card in there because we didn't know the names or who they were, a little card in there that if you need further assistance, reach out to the church. Well, we had one person in particular reach out to the church, and it was Christina. She said, hey, I'm a single mom with an older elementary daughter and a high school son, and 
I could use some, some more help. And we said, great, we'd love to help you. Why don't you come in and meet us at a worship service? She came in. Not only did we help her, but she ended up giving her life to Christ. And then through that, she a month later got baptized. And then through that, she, they, they, her two kids eventually got baptized the next week. And all of a sudden, this family didn't just get assistance. They had surrendered their lives to Jesus, started serving. Here's what happened next. She started attending an outpost. Outposts had provided those meals. She started attending a different outpost that was just getting started. And through that, she got a passion. She had learned to do extreme couponing. Any extreme couponers out there? She had learned how to do this as a single mom to provide for herself because she could find food that would be donated or perhaps use clothing, but getting hygiene products like soap, shampoo, deodorant, toothbrush, toothpaste, cleaning supplies, things that the dollars add up that we don't think about very often. She could never find that, so she learned extreme couponing. She began to collect these items from extreme couponing and just put them on shelves in her home. And then she would open up her house to people in the neighborhood to come through and get some of this stuff uh, free. And if they wanted to make a donation to the cause, awesome. And so then out of that, they launched their separate own 501c3 called Dotted Line Divas. And Dotted Line Divas, they began to help more people. And before you knew it, she like her whole uh, place was just packed with these items. And some women, and now I believe there's a man or two on her board, formed their, her board for her new nonprofit. And then one of our other outposts found out about what God was doing through Christina's life and Dotted Line Divas. And so they reached out and they talked to her and they heard about what we do as a church. You see, we don't just talk about empowering people in our outposts. We put our money where our mouth is. From the day we started this church, over 20% of our resources have gone outside the walls to make an impact and help people in need. And this year, our goal was 25%, and we're going to, I know, we're going to give away over 30% this year. Our goal is within the next eight years now that we will give away 50% of our budget every year to make an impact in the local community and around the world. And you guys all are doing that. So when we talk about the tens of thousands of dollars going away, it's because of your generosity and the prioritization of people outside the walls of this building. You say, why why is that so important? To my atheist friends who look at local churches and they go, why do you have a tax exemption when all of your funds go to build a building and go to pay your staff when you don't actually make an impact in the local community? We're going to say, no, Jesus cares about the local community and we are called to make an impact in it. And so we are going to prioritize our resources to do that very thing. And it takes conscious choices. We have to give up some luxuries sometimes in order to do that. Now, here's the thing. A portion of that is allotted to our outpost that they can apply for a matching grant. And so this particular outpost heard about what has happened with Christina, and they said, hey, we want to raise $5,000. We're going to put on a gala last Valentine's Day, and then we're going to, you guys match it with $5,000. And through that, they raised $10,000 for Dotted Line Divas. Because of that and the financial impact and the people now on board, they started a personal care pantry and home place in the very community in which we reached out to her just a few years ago. How cool is that? And the picture you see of her there is actually in her personal care pantry. Now, let me ask this. How many staff members made all of this happen? What program made all of that occur? 
Now, certainly, uh, Nick and I have worked with her over the last few years, but all of those great things occurred because people were empowered to live out the mission God was calling them to, and I believe you are too. That's why our outposts exist. That's why teams are needed, because you should never be alone living out your mission. Jesus prioritized, he sent them out two by two. He believed that empowering them was more important than drawing a crowd to himself. We want our church to be no more for the mission happening in our outposts than just what happens on the stage on a Sunday, amen. The last person I told you I'd share about, some of you know her, she's all over TV now, here locally, she's on the radio all the time, here on Smiley Morning, she's on uh, Fox all the time, a bunch of different channels. She's a, one of the seven finalists on Fox for Master Chef. And we know the Lord has chosen her to win Master Chef. We just know it. It's the only one the Lord loves. He doesn't like the other six, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. We, and we don't have any clues going to win. But she didn't, when she came to our church a few years ago, on October 2nd, you're going to hear her story. When she came to our church, she wasn't cooking for a ministry or a career. She worked at a Christian credit union. She was going through some stuff in her life. You hear her story on October 2nd. And we began to just love her and she got involved. She ran her hospitality team very early on in the life of our church and has ever still, since and still does today. How many people have a master chef contestant working as their hospitality lead? That's incredible. But because of that, she grew in her faith and she had people surrounding her, encouraging her to actually live out her dream of using cooking. And it was, she started Tenoria's Table out of that and began to get on one of the local news channels on Sunday mornings as a cooking show. And then she tried out for Master Chef and she, she made it onto the show and then she's made it this whole far. And when I loved it, when we had the kicked off the, the, of the, the grand opening, the first uh, week on uh, Wednesday nights of Master Chef, we had it right here, her big celebration, which they did in the middle of it, they brought her whole team up. See, when she was there trying out and when she went to try out for the first time, she had a team. She had people who were praying for her, people who were encouraging her, people telling her to chase her dreams. When she came back, they had gifts they had been waiting on to give her. Like that is what Christian community is meant to look like. Or we miss out on great stories like this. And we spend all of our time in our nine to five, never thinking about the wake of impact God could use us to do. But if you got a team, it's possible. And what I hope for you and for me, when we get to heaven one day and we look back, we do not look with remorse. We look with celebration at how God used the short time we had on this planet to make an impact in our community. And so I just conclude with this, where is your team? The church should be a thousand communities on mission, infiltrating every aspect of our communities, an underground movement that is unstoppable. It's why our outposts exist. Where is your team? Where's your team? Where's your team? Let's pray. God, thank you for each person here. I thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. And we lift up this vision of an underground church movement through our missional communities we call outposts. And I pray that each person here, whether it's today or a year from now or two years from now, they get connected, they find their team, and they live on mission. I know some people here, they want to make an impact, but they don't feel like you've given them a specific calling of what to do. Maybe this morning you can draw them into your general calling to help those in need and to share their faith and to surround themselves with other Christians in our outposts where we study the Bible, we pray for one another, we share communion together, we take 
we eat meals together. Sometimes we even worship together and we make an impact in our communities. God, maybe that's somebody here and they need to get connected with Christian community like we read in Mark chapter two. But then maybe there are some others here this morning that you just placed something distinct on their heart, a dream, a greater vision for how you could use their life. And they've never taken the steps to actually fulfill that. They don't really have a team to empower them to do that. And just with our eyes closed this morning, if that's you, that you feel like you have something that God is calling you to, that if, when you delight yourself in him, it's what you want to see fulfilled with your life and your time on this planet. And it's not happening right now and you want it to. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand for just a moment really high. I see several of you right here down front to my right, over there to my right, and those of you in the back there. Raise it nice and high so I can see it. And those online, you can raise your hand in the quietness of your home. Okay, we can put our hands down for a moment. Here's what we ask, Lord Jesus. You saw the people right there that you have stirred something in their minds and their souls to do and participate in your kingdom with. I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you would protect that vision. You would not let them get discouraged, that they might find a team that would encourage that and enable it in their lifetime. That they don't look back with remorse, but they look back with celebration because of what you've done. Provide them with a team, Lord Jesus. And right now, if that was you, I want you to pray this with me. I commit this vision to your Lordship, Jesus. Supply me with just the right people to enable me to see it completed. God, we give you this morning, we give you our church, we give you this vision, and we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen. Thank you.